Hello and welcome to Kyrinos Finsight, the podcast that explores some of the most pressing topics for financial services. Insights that help you navigate today and anticipate tomorrow. Hello and welcome to a bonus Finsights podcast where we will dig into the implications of breaking news in financial services. With a lot of recent turbulence in the banking industry, we want to have a look at the quarterly earnings of major U.S. banks. Here today to discuss the implications with me, Adam Stockton, who's head of retail deposits, benchmarking and strategy, and Peter Serene, who is director of commercial banking here at Curinos. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Adam. Thanks so much for having us, Walker. Thanks, Riker. How have the recent bank failures impacted the quarterly earnings of the major banks in the U.S.? And let's start with you, Peter. Great question. So when we think about the recent bank failures, and here we're referring to Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank New York, and, and most recently, uh, First Republic, these were liquidity events, and they were liquidity events that were isolated largely to large uninsured deposits of the sort that you find in commercial banking portfolios and in wealth port. And so the implication of that was an increased focus for management teams in their presentation and from analysts and investors on understanding the nature and quality of funding within banks' deposit portfolios. There's been an increased recognition in light of recent events that not all deposits are created equal, and investors are much more keen to understand the true underlying nature of banks' deposit portfolios. People have really learned what the FDIC limit is, right? It's, it's right top of mind for everyone right now. What have you found, uh, Adam, uh, the, to be impact from the most recent events? Yeah, I, I want to double click a little bit on all deposits are not created equal. As, as you noted, I tend to pick up these questions from a, a retail perspective. So looking at, at consumer, small business and wealth on the, the consumer side and really for most of small business as well, part of that answer is almost all deposits are pretty valuable. Part of that is the insurance. So 75% of consumer deposits are, are insured. And part of it is, is just th those deposits are, are slower to move regardless of rate environment. So we, we saw very little outflows from a consumer perspective. There are differences even within that portfolio. So primary checking anchored deposits remain more valuable than, than those that aren't. But, but the biggest difference was, was between lines of business. Peter, I, I think maybe you should comment a little bit on what some of the differences are within commercial, because that's probably where there are the most differences inside the, the sector. That's a great point, Adam. So within commercial, there are differences in terms of the size of the companies, but, but by and large, commercial deposit portfolios have been uninsured portfolios historically. The vast majority of the balances are over the, the, the 250K FDIC limit. With that said, just as there are in our day-to-day -day financial lives as individuals, within commercial deposit books, there are checking accounts and there are savings deposits. And those some of those savings deposits are for nearer term needs, and some of them are for more, more long-term strategic needs. The commercial checking deposits that typically go with what we would consider the primary relationship, the relationship where the company receives the majority of their payments and makes the majority of their payments are much stickier, in part because the underlying payment flows that generate those deposits are really complicated for big companies and hard to move. So there was a big difference bet between commercial portfolios that had a good mix of primary relationships 
and those that were more concentrated in commercial savings balances. Those who've listened to these podcasts previously have probably heard us talk about primacy in, in, in commercial banking. That really means a combination of leveraging your position as a lender to the company with your expertise and product capabilities to help companies make their payments efficiently and marrying those up with the primary checking account at the center of the relationship. Those sorts of deposits were, were more stable in the last several weeks, and we would expect to be more stable going forward, and we would expect intensified competition for those relationships. I feel like the other thing we should probably comment on here is the other side of things in terms of losses on securities and lending portfolios. Rucker, you invited the two deposit experts on because deposits got far more airtime in, in the earnings calls than they almost ever have before. But but certainly the, the other items of note are the securities portfolios, which were huge issues for all three of the banks that failed. They invested deposits in investments that are, are now underwater and had unrealized losses that uh, they, they couldn't sell the uh, securities without realizing those losses. And then on the on the loan side, particularly in the case of a First Republic, where their primary asset class was jumbo mortgages held on balance sheet, those mortgages are sitting at, at 3% in many cases, given where customers refied. And so with deposit rates rising so quickly, that is the, the other piece that put a huge amount of pressure on, on that portfolio. Well, deposits were the main event. Uh, I, I don't want to suggest that they were the only event at the earnings calls or the, the kind of only source of concern going forward. It's also worth noting that there's a really tight connection between performance on the deposit portfolio and how acute those accumulated losses in the securities portfolio become. Now, if we'll, if you'll indulge us a little accounting here, there's a difference between uh, in accounting treatments between how those investment portfolios are held. Some are held under what's called available for sale accounting. And in that case, they're marked to market on an ongoing basis. Others are held under what's called held to maturity accounting, in which case the bank doesn't have to realize the losses until such time as they sell the securities. Well, that's all well and good if you have enough deposits to fund those positions. But if your deposits start going out the door, then banks can be forced to liquidate some of those positions in held to maturity and realize the losses in accumulated other comprehensive income, which then puts a drain on earnings and can require incremental capital. And that's what we saw with the banks that failed, right? They had to sell in a pinch at a loss and that then created more of a run on their deposits, which it created this loop effect, which resulted uh, in that failing. Right. And taking a step back from that for one second, part of what the, that means for banks is that they're going through a process of figuring out under what time period they can start to change the accounting treatment on some of their held to maturity securities based on what they forecast will happen in their deposit portfolio. And what you really want to avoid doing is making sudden moves to have to raise capital quickly. That spooks investors. Whereas if you can put in place a gradual plan to realize those losses over time and raise capital incrementally, especially if you can do it in sort of low-key organic ways like expense reductions, 
then the street would typically respond more favorably. And that's a set of strategic decisions that a number of, of bank management teams are going through looking forward over the next year or so. So that said, and looking at the most recent results, where do we think the current banking industry is? What state is it in? Maybe the, the first comment I would have there is most banks are in a far more stable spot than you might believe reading the news. A lot of media outlets, I would argue, kind of lazily used the term regional banks, really to refer to the three banks that failed and not many others, saying broad brush statements like, deposits flooded out of regional banks and into the biggest national banks. And, and I think number one coming out of the earnings is that statement was far too broad and in many cases really exaggerated or, or in some just not true. The national bank's deposits were not up as much as the media would have you believe and regional bank deposits were not down outside, again, of, of that small handful of banks who were in, in big trouble. Number two, I think for me, is there is some more pain coming moving forward. And I think most banks were careful to signpost some of, of that pain. Certainly, we've seen in prior um, uh, environments where the Fed plateaus continued increases in, in deposit costs, even as loan yields hold flat. Fundamentally, we expect shrinking NIM to be one of the one of the outcomes here. And at the same time, banks are are looking more broadly at you know, are are some of my deposits less valuable than I, I'd anticipated? Are there going to be increased FDIC costs that are going to be borne? The I, I would summarize as. Good news is stable coming out of what seemed like a, a crisis that for a while could have tipped into something bigger and really didn't. But the, the flip side of that is maybe not risk of dissolution going forward, but certainly risk of, of, of further financial pain. Adam, I'd maybe add on to that, to your comment about the, the, the general conditions of, of regional banks. I think that's spot on. The one caveat to, to the broader point about you know, certainly more deposit resiliency and stability across regional banking than, than you would have expected reading the news is the overall fundamentals for commercial deposits remain quite challenging. And you still see that coming through in the, in the regional bank results. That's largely driven by quantitative tightening, which was felt disproportionately in commercial portfolios over the last 12 months or so. And then it was exacerbated over the last eight weeks or so as some commercial customers who, again, have largely uninsured deposits, move some of the money off bank balance sheets into money market mutual funds. We did see an acceleration in that movement. It was about $325 billion of commercial deposits that moved from a bank to a money market mutual fund since March 10th, which was the time of the SVB and Signature Bank New York failures. And that continues to weigh on, uh, on regional bank commercial deposit portfolios. Not nearly as much as you might have expected on the morning of March 11th or 12th or 13th. Um, I think the big picture that, that, that regional bank deposit portfolios were more resilient than, than you might have expected holds true. 
but the fundamentals are challenging. Yeah, and you're right. And you're right to call out the, the exception. And, and maybe the other big exception in my mind is concentration risk. All three of the institutions that failed were heavily concentrated in fairly narrow segments. And it, it's been tempting as an industry sometimes to look at really attractive, really profitable segments and say, gosh, if if I could be the best bank for the affluent or the best bank for startups, maybe I don't have to worry about all of those other customers. I don't have to bank the unprofitable riffraff. Turns out that the and unprofitable is, is uncharitable, but um, less profitable riffraff are really stable and come with some big advantages in, in different environments. And so the attention being paid to more concentrated business models and different risk factors than were really anticipated to that degree in the past is, is probably the other, the other big thing that I would pay attention to. So it's a little bit like investing a diversified portfolio, fairest best over time. On average, not giving any guarantees for the future, but I think that's probably what you're what you're referring to, right? If you have multiple different segments that you are diversified in, you can weather a storm to one with the other. Yeah, you know, I would add to that a diversified portfolio with primary customer relationships at the center of your strategy across each of the lines of business that comprise that. Uh, that, that diversified portfolio. Uh, yeah, I, I love that addition. And I was also going to say, gosh, the one piece that I might quibble with a little bit, Rucker, in terms of what you said is it's not necessarily better returns over time because for a number of years, particularly Silicon Valley and First Republic were darlings of the banking industry. So a concentrated approach can be more profitable but much higher risk. And I think one of the, the big things coming out of this is even for the most profitable, best looking institutions, if you're that concentrated, there may not be ways to, to mitigate the risk in some cases. So overall, banking industry in good, okay condition? Would, would, if you would have to describe it with one short word, what would it be, uh, Adam, starting with you first? Gosh, one short word. I'm trying to think of the right word that means stable, but a little less attractive and a, a little less confident than it was three months ago. I think the, the underlying fundamentals have shifted, but have not changed in terms of being stood on their head in a dramatic way for the most part. There, there are nuances to that, pockets where that, that may be true. But I think in the, in the long run, there will be some shifts coming out of this, some larger than, than others. But fundamentally, for the most part, I see it as, as more similar than not coming out of it. So Peter, what word would you uh, pick or a couple of words you would pick of the industry and its current status? So if you think about the arc of the cycle that we've been in, there was a long period of tailwinds to profitability as deposit betas stayed generally pretty low across the industry, especially in consumer segments. Banks were flush with deposits uh, and then assets started to reprice on the, uh, as a function of, of a rapidly rising rate environment. NIMS expanded. That's what's supposed to happen for banks in a rising rate cycle. That all came to a very abrupt pause when we entered a sort of acute liquidity-focused period 
for it felt to most of us sort of like an eight week period. If you look at the data, it was actually for most banks only a one to two week period where most of the action happened on most of the of the portfolio. Pockets of it have carried on longer. But now we're entering a new phase of the cycle, which is really a profitability focused phase. We're going into an environment where I think there's a realization that potentially there are future losses to be taken on securities portfolios. There are potentially future losses to be taken on some commercial real estate exposures. And there and the deposit environment is going to get more challenging as more customers are paying close attention to their bank relationships. Those who haven't woken up to higher rates are going to be increasingly demanding higher rates across a number of parts of their portfolio. And there are still structural factors that are driving deposits down at traditional banks. So we're now going into a period where there's going to be a lot of focus on how we both manage risk and manage profitability over the next several quarters. So I like that inflection point. And then maybe, Adam, that, that's the nice bridge to, I think what Peter already started saying is kind of what, what are then the implications for future bank earnings from your point of view, Adam? Peter already touched on a, a couple. One is a, a real shift in focus towards profitability, and that comes across the board. As the margins on, on deposits shrink, banks will have to both get targeted in terms of thinking about the cost on those deposits, but also cost more broadly. If you can't make up the costs in, in one area, you have to look at, at other areas for the, the, the costs as well. I think the the second big one is deposit valuation and and profitability, rethinking FTP models, rethinking stressed outflows, and how quickly the the market is moving. Number three to me is significantly heightened level of competition for the most valuable deposits and the most valuable customers. And so there was already competition for retail deposits. That's going to ramp up even further. Marketing dollars are not going to go as far. It's going to take more rate, more cash incentive, more marketing targeting to reach and, and, and convert the most valuable customers into new primary relationships. Getting targeted in terms of marketing is going to make a huge difference because the, the, the difference in that long-term value between two customers could be significant. And so you want to be as targeted as you can to get those valuable customers but recognizing that you're not the only one who's going to be who's going to be targeting them a real focus on execution across the board execution from a cost perspective execution from an acquisition and marketing perspective execution from a treasury and balance sheet management perspective in terms of thinking about the the world and in, in different ways there's a whole lot of work to do uh, going forward peter do you have anything to add to that to what adam was just saying well, it's two, but I would say inflection point. Yeah, Adam brought up a couple of great points uh, around non-rate drivers, things like personalization of, of messaging, digital user experience, network optimization. You know, these aren't new concepts in banking, but in a world where rate competition is increasing, they can certainly be very valuable in, in chipping away against that incremental interest expense. In commercial banking, we'd expect to see a lot of focus on, on, on lending discipline, given the potential macroeconomic environment that we're, that we're headed into, and given some emerging focus on potentially problematic sectors like 
business real estate. And then there are a couple of other things that we would expect to be big focus areas going forward. To bring it all the way back to the very beginning of the discussion, we talked about this idea of not all deposits being created equal. Banks spend a lot of time forecasting how their balance sheet is going to perform under different market and economic scenarios. And the events of the last eight weeks have presented a new set of data, some interesting test cases um, to, to really challenge and refine uh, those, uh, th- those forecasts and scenarios. And we would expect that um, that's going to be something that bank management teams are, are quite focused on. Um, over the next uh, next couple of quarters, um, we'd expect that the bank supervisors will also be focused on that and asking some probing questions. So that will also help drive engagement around scenario planning and, and, and forecasting and um, thinking about what we've learned about the, the, the different value of different deposit pools. And then finally, the last thing I think I would touch on is, again, not new, but in a particularly challenging environment like the one we're headed into, just underscore the, the value of primary relationships, making sure that we're really understanding those relationships that might be at risk in the retail space and, and, and defending them. And in the commercial space, doing both more of the same, but also rethinking the, the role of primacy a little bit in light of evolving company behaviors. One of the lessons learned from, from the past eight weeks, a reminder that occasionally banks fail, is that if you're a company treasurer, it's a really good idea to have a backup plan in place. And so whereas you've seen a trend towards more concentration of relationships with the primary bank over the last 10 or 15 years, you might see a little bit of a shift back towards diversifying bank relationships a little bit. And that creates risks, but it also creates opportunities. And it creates those opportunities for, for regional banks as well as as well as for the largest banks. Well, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Adam. This was a great conversation. As always, thank you to the Kiranos Finsights team. Editing and production is by our senior designer, Adrian Cohen. Project management by our marketing communications manager, Megan Brazette. Music is by Vision Studios. I'm your host, Rutger Van Fossen. You can find more insights at kiranos.com. Please subscribe and like wherever you listen to podcasts.